Welcome to Siren Sundays. This show is focused on speaking with researchers, scientists, and practitioners of environmental sciences and all things conservation in the Bahamas. Because if you didn't know, the Bahamas is so much more than just beaches. Now tuning in to our conservation conversation. What's flashing, everyone? Welcome to season seven, episode three of Siren Sundays with me, your host, Lashanti the Siren. And today, our guest is none other than Eagle Ray Empress, aka Nikita Shiorol. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. And for anyone that didn't know, Nikita is currently in Ethiopia. So she is up very, very late just to be here for me and for you, not just me, for everyone to to have this wonderful episode and for us to learn about this beautiful ocean soul. So we're going to dive right in. Uh, thank you to everyone who's viewing right now. Nikita, can you please let us know how how your journey was? Like, how were you inspired, you know, to become an ocean soul? Mm, thank you. That's such a good question. So, um, I think really where the deep love came in was I had my first summer job at about 13 years old working at Stewart Cove um, and I fell in love with the ocean that summer. Like I'd always loved the ocean, you know, it was always part of life. But then I realized, whoa, I can get paid to be in the water. This is what I'm going to have to do. (laughs) And so for me, the logical next step was a marine biologist. Um, But it was really actually, at that point in time, there was uh, the oil spill that was taking, sort of continuously going on in Clifton Pier. And I just remember we would go there with uh, divers or snorkelers, and I was just like, this didn't make any sense to me. In the same respect, you know, a lot of uh, my colleagues that I was working with, I just, felt like there was a big disconnect. And so this would have been in, um, okay, so that's, I was in high school. <laughs> so like 2000, in 2000, early 2000. Early 2000, okay. um, <laughs> Early 2000. And I was just like, you know what, give me, give me three years and I'm gonna do something about this. And I was just sort of like this knowing that this wasn't making any sense, that we are an ocean people but yet we were so disconnected from the ocean and people just didn't seem to see how our way of life, our economy directly tied to the quality of the health of our environment. And so from a very early age, I sort of was on this laser focused mission of, okay, how do we connect Bahamians to the environment so that we can improve the quality and health of the ocean, um, which will improve everyone's quality of life. So that was, I guess the the big thing for me, but I know I got I got uh, certified as an open water diver at thirteen, and I was like, this is where it's at. And so each <laughs> year, I was just I did all my time through high school, every single break I had, I was pretty much underwater. Um, and at the time, you know, I wasn't a I was only a rescue diver, so I couldn't lead dives, and mm. so my only access to ocean. Um, or being underwater diving was to work on the sub boat. Uh, so if you know Stuart Cove, like they've got these underwater scooter things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it was a boat which was like all dudes and I was very young, but it meant that I could spend time underwater. So I learned to pull my weight and push subs and fight currents just so that I could spend that time under the water. Oh, nice. Awesome. So when, when you finished high school, you went off to UM, correct? So actually, I did not. (laughs) I finished high school and then I uh, worked as a dive master for a year. And that's when I became an underwater photographer and videographer. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of what I did. And then after I had enough of taking pictures of tourists, 
<laughs> I did my very first internship, marine science internship at the Perry Institute for Marine Science. So this was nice. back when they were at Ali Stocking Island. And mm, so I spent idea. a summer there and really learned a lot. Um, I remember I took all my savings that I had worked from diving and bought an underwater camera and housing and a Mac computer. And that was, and it was actually, it was a great thing because that is what I used to work on the book Island of the Sun, which was sort of one of the, the first uh, publications that I, I produced. Oh, that's so awesome. So what would you say uh, was your inspiration for, because as we know, you were the CEO, you are the founder and CEO of the Young Marine Explorers. So how did you now take what you used to do and decide that this was something that was the next step for you? So while I was an undergraduate at University of Miami, um, my first semester, I was just like, okay, who's working in the Bahamas? And so I reached out to every single professor that I, all 11, that I could have access to, uh, who I knew were doing work in the Bahamas. And, um, you know, because I just, I wanted to not just do marine science, but I wanted to make sure that the work that I was doing was anchored in the Bahamas. Um, and again, it goes back to that realization. When I was telling people, oh, I'm going to, you know, become a marine biologist, the responses were like, what are you going to do? Work at Atlantis? And I was just like, work with dolphins? But yep. We're an ocean. Like, we are ocean. And I just didn't make sense. And then I realized that, you know, I had to work really, really hard to learn about what was happening in country as it related to the ocean. And there weren't really clear pathways for young people to enter into the ocean or conservation industry. And back then, like conservation really wasn't a thing. Even when I did my master's, it was very difficult. I mean, there wasn't, there weren't really degrees in conservation. Like now we have a lot more degrees in conservation, you know, like the, the degree program that you went to, you know, was like one of the earlier ones that finally had like, yeah, we have master's degrees in conservation, but for a while that people weren't really making the connection between nature and science and humans. And that was really the intersection where I was sitting in. Um, and so as an undergrad student, uh, we founded what was then called Young Bahamian Marine Scientists. So it was based on the understanding like, yo, Bahamians need to enter science and ocean science. So um, what I ended up doing was, that's when I started the after school program at CD Bethel. And so our work really started with marine science education. And there came a point in time, you know, and what's been really cool is that as I've grown in my career, so has how I do the work. It's transformed. So initially it was really environmental education, but then there was this realization, so great, students can name the four different mangrove species that we have in the Bahamas, but how does that help them make money? And how does that change the, like, how does that lead to behavioral change? Yeah. And so that's when um, we sort of dug a lot deeper into <clears throat> what our programs look like. And um, the, the work really started to focus on, well, how do we inspire behavioral change? What does that need to look like? And how do you get someone who is not connected in the ocean or environment in any way, which was like most Bahamians, you know, who would go to the beach on a holiday and just put your feet in it, you know? and afraid of the seagrass right how do you literally translate that <laughs> how do you then translate that to jobs and economic opportunities and that's sort of really where i would say my work is now anchored in much more now um and so after hurricane dorian um we would have established the cat island conservation institute yeah. um and that was because there was this realization that we weren't focusing on climate and there really were not and there are not enough Bahamian institutions um, that are supporting science and research. Right. And so how do you build that capacity? And so this is what the Cat Island Conservation Institute has been focusing on. But then also, how do you how do we expand our understanding of research? So it's not a ivory tower exclusive experience but the knowledge economy becomes a pathway to tangible careers for Bahamians. And the only way that you can do that is you actually have to train Bahamians. And so that's where um, now a lot of our work focuses on building capacity. You know, we would have, and it's, it's really exciting. We have a team of community marine scientists 
that we um, are training and by the summer they will be agrobenthic certified and we'll be ah. able to put them to work. Yeah. I mean, these are people so who haven't, you know, necessarily graduated from high school or are like farmers or, you know, community members. Yeah. But I think this is what science has to be. Science has not been accessible for Bahamians. It's been for the privileged, but science is for everyone. Yes. You know, and so we have to be intentional about how we um, help people access science. And so this is really where I spend a lot of my time. Yeah, and I know just to touch back really quickly on when YME started us as young Bahamian marine scientists. I love that when you switched it to young marine explorers, the acronym was also a nice play on words of why me. Love that. Exactly. <laughs> it's important, exactly. right? Because I think Bahamian youth, like you said, they feel so limited. Like some of them may be so interested in the science, but they may not be able to go off to school and be the doctor that everyone says they need to be. And so your community scientists, your community marine scientists program, um, when I first heard about it, I was like, wow, this is exactly why Nikita is so cool. Mm -hmm. Because we know, right? There's been so many projects that come in the pipeline that go through the different um, conservation organizations and how first of all, how much more feasible would it be to just know that you have these group of community scientists who've been properly trained in AGRA and just say, hey, can you go to that area? We'll pay you to collect this data. It could be Bahamian researchers asking to do that, but also international researchers, because that's an international standard that's upheld. And, and you know, it's just, again, it makes it tangible and it makes it realistic for people to pursue fields, uh, pursue careers in this field. Um, so that's great. So I'm excited to continue to see that roll out. And I know the name is Cat Island Conservation Institution, but it is for all Bahamians. And hopefully I'd love to see that expand to all the different islands as well. It's, <laughs> it's so funny, Lashanti. When I, when I say the Cat Island Conservation Institute, and people are like, oh, you must only work on Cat Island. And I'm just like, does University of Toronto only do work in Toronto? Like, you know, like it's, mm -hmm. it's a name. It's a exactly. name that celebrates one of our islands that has so much heritage and history, but we're now doing work here in Ethiopia as a Cat Island Conservation Institute. You know, so it's about, it's uh, Bahamas to the world. There you go, 242 to the world. <laughs> and I love that. And so I do want to talk a little bit about, um, Obviously, the name of this episode is an ocean soul. Uh, so what would you define an ocean soul as? <sighs> okay, well, <laughs> the ocean is just this beautiful being of just unconditional love. And so I feel like as ocean souls, we tap into that ocean energy and we exude it, even if we're not in the ocean or by the ocean. And so mm -hmm. I remember back back when everyone was all about salt life, like salt life, salt life, salt life, salt life. Probably some people little stickers on their cars, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I love, but I was just like, mm, that's not really for me. And I wanted to put a bumper sticker on my car. So I came up with Ocean Soul. <laughs> and so that yeah. was the bumper sticker that I made. And it kind of became, I think, a true um, embodiment of sort of how I try to show up in the world is just, Everything about me connects to the ocean one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And um, also I think the ocean is just so powerful. You know, the ocean can be calm and serene and she can also rage mm -hmm. and be destructive. And I like to think that I embody all the beautiful, <laughs> <laughs> the beauty of the ocean, both the calm and the storm. Yeah, you gotta have that duality, man. It's always important, definitely. And I think one thing that I always like to remind people of, um, and it's something you said a bit earlier, we are an ocean nation. We may live on these little rocks sprinkled, you know, in the, uh, in the sea, but we are an ocean nation. I think it's like what over 80% over 90% of our country is ocean. And, and to even just take that to a more broader perspective, we're an ocean world. Like the ocean takes up more of the planet than the earth, like the terrestrial environment that we stand on does. And, and that just shows how sometimes we can just be so um, human focused, human centric, just because we're on the actual physical ground does not mean that this is the limit of what earth is. Uh, but that, I think that can, that can be a whole nother conversation another day, but I am super interested in you explaining to everyone or telling everyone about Eagle Ray Empress and, and this renaming, you know, and really, um, I know that you also, there are a few other people in Cat Island, like Ocean Queen, Ocean King, like, and I love that because I'm the siren, you know, and I, and I think 
people, it's so wonderful when people can choose um, how they want to be identified as. Um, so can you tell us like why Eagle Ray Empress? <sighs> well, um, so Eagle Ray Empress actually came about when I was applying for University of Miami. And you remember back in the day when we all had like those fun Hotmail account email addresses? Mine was um, Eagle Ray Empress at Hotmail.com. But the reason how I came up with that was that I had applied for University of Miami and I was so excited waiting for my you know, response and someone hacked my email. I think it was like an ex-boyfriend or something, but I couldn't get into my email. So I had to come up with a new email address. And I was just like, well, what do I love? And I just remember at that point in time, I was working as a dive master and eagle rays are just these powerful marine creatures that are so graceful and elegant. And they like do a ballet. If you see them in the water, it's just stunning. Um, but they're also very strong. So I, I sort of um, connected with that. And then of course you kind of move on and you know, Eagle Ray Empress kind of wasn't a thing. Um, but as sort of more recently as the years went on, I kind of got really frustrated because people don't like to allow me be me. <laughs> you know, like I would say I'm Bahamian. No, you're not. Or like, I'm a rule. You can't be a rule. You're too bright to be a rule. Like, there was always a reason why I could not be who I am. Mm -hmm. And it was exhausting. Like, it was so exhausting defending myself in my existence on this planet. And so I was just like, I'm going to be Eagle Ray Empress. Tell me that I'm not. <laughs> and it kind Love of became it. a way that enabled me to step into my power without, like, holding onto my power. But then also... It's become a tool, as you may have seen the documentary Antonise. Um, I think so many of us are challenged by the realities of the world. Excuse me. And sometimes it's really hard to show up when the world's like, mm, no, you can't do this or you can't do that. And I think this whole idea of like owning your superhero name, you know, like, giving people permission to step into their true self because sometimes you need grace or you need someone to be like yo you can be you and you can shine and the world they, they just don't need to get on your case about that and so that's where um sort of through as we've been building up the Carolyn conservation institute again when you're dealing with people who don't come from formal academic backgrounds, it can be really intimidating. And this was something that I was really challenged with because, you know, there was all these PhDs that I was spending time with and I really felt less than because I only had a master's degree and I wasn't a doctor and, oh, you're not a real scientist, you know, talk. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, claiming the title Eagle Right Empress gave me a title that I could hold on to in the same respect with our community scientists, when you're a green warrior or you're the ocean king, then you can hold on to your power and still engage and be in communion with someone who has a PhD or someone who, you know, from whatever background, but it just, it, 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 it's become a way to help us um, allow our divine essence shine through. And I love this comment. Empress ranks higher than a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love it. Definitely. I do agree. Um, so to get a little bit more into the work that you do and have done, um, what would you say are your primary areas of focus right now? I know you've done work with climate action. You've done community citizen science and building all these programs and marine conservation. But what would you say is that primary area that you focus on? Such a good question. Um, and <laughs> it could so be a hard one, I... <laughs> Uh, that's why I introduce myself these days as a multifaceted mermaid, because it really depends on the time of the day and where yeah. I'm located. Um, so from a science perspective, from a sustainable development perspective, I see myself at the intersection of science, society, and policy. Mm. And while my work still is and always will be ocean love, um, there are challenges you know, to, there's been real challenges for me to be able to do the ocean conservation work that I want and the way that I want to do that. And a lot of that has to do with in the Bahamas, we just, there are ma major gaps in our institutional capacities. 
Mm -hmm. And so I've like embarked on the pathway of building an institution and what does that look like? And the reality is, is that so often we like to look at these topics in silos. Oh, it's ocean, it's climate, it's gender, but it's one story. We are one people on one ocean planet, you know, so everything is interconnected. And I have sort of, right, I've had to like sort of meander my way, which is like this meandering has taken me to the mountains of Ethiopia in, you know, with the ultimate goal of protecting the ocean. But how does one do that? Well, we need to see strong institutions, right? So how do you build institutional capacity? Um, so that's one thing like as a, an organization from YME Bahamas and the Catalan Conservation Institute that I'm really working on. But then also, how do you tell a story that's bigger than the 400,000 people in the Bahamas? Because I've been screaming from the Bahamas for a very long time and the world does not hear us. Like they don't hear us. They don't actually, they don't even know where we are. I, that's been one of the, the greatest realizations for me as I've been spending time throughout the African continent. People are like, where, where, what? You, you know, and it's just like, they just don't know us. And that's, I think that's one of the part of the beauty of us being in the Bahamas. We are this like magical country that is this, you know, secret, you know, especially mm -hmm. when you come to like islands like Cat Island. Mm -hmm. However, when you're talking about what does sustainable development look like? How do we access funding? And how do local grassroots organizations, the people, the young people, the women, the, you know, the entities who have real solutions but cannot access the financing, how do we do that? And so this has sort of been the mission that I've been on. And so this is what's tied me or taken me into uh, the African Union space and, um, really trying to frame our challenges in the Bahamas within the African Union Agenda 2063. So what you may not know, and I was blown away over these past few years as I've been learning more about Africa and just life here, uh, the African Union has a vision for the Africa that we want, um, which is Agenda 2063, right? Okay. So that's a very long vision. But also, as people of the diaspora, we make up the sixth region of the African Union. And right when I was like, wait, what? We're Africa? Okay. So that's why I was like, let me move over here and see what's, girl, right? So let's see what's going on. And so I've just spent this past year, you know, a I'm like, like, what? <laughs> like, give us I need y'all to understand, we are Africa, which means the, the, the narrative of the Africa that we want, what that looks like, is our story, you know, and also we've been disconnected from our heritage, from traditional knowledge, from indigenous knowledge systems, and the only way that we're going to solve any of the climate crisis or deal with any of our ocean issues is if we're grounded into indigenous knowledge and wisdom. Well, we're not going to get it from the same institutions that enslaved us. You know, like, so ooh, it has to be a... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I completely... It's okay. It's getting too hot. <laughs> um, so this is what's taken me over to the continent, and it's really been, like, listening and learning. So this past year, I attended just so many different meetings from the Pan-African Climate Justice Alliance... Uh, meeting with like young African climate leaders to COP27, the Internet Governance Forum. You know, like what does internet what does internet governance look like? I mean, you and I are communicating right now, truly thanks to a VPN, right? Yeah. And, so, <laughs> and so, I think these intersections are so important, and it's very easy. And this has been some of like the challenges that I've had in the past in the ocean space is that a lot of uh, ocean science is very global north driven. Mm -hmm. It is also uh, very limited in perspective when it comes to the true role that humans play in the narrative. And when we focus so heavily on the biology and you forget the humanity, well, we're never gonna, it, we're not gonna solve our problems. Mm -hmm. And so being here in the continent has helped me not only anchor into the larger story, 
and to to place ourselves as Bahamians, the little 400,000 of us within the global context of 8 billion people, you know, see where there are intersections, see where there's opportunities for true funding, not the $25,000, but like the millions of dollars that we all need so we can do the things that we need to do that we know our communities need, Mm -hmm. you know, like it just, anyhow, so this is sort of like how and why (laughs) I've been here and it's been beautiful because I've also realized that there's a lot of young people here in the continent as well who have been experiencing similar challenges that I was experiencing about like, how do you access financing? So um, right now, one of the big outcomes that came from the regional conference of youth that we held and you know, the outcome document that was produced mm-hmm. is this global initiative called, for sustainable development called Rethink. And it's just like, how can we rethink what sustainable development looks like? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we rethink what ocean conservation looks like? And also, how do we rethink what economic empowerment looks like? Because at the end of the day, you want to save the ocean, we got to move our people out of poverty. Yes. You know, and yeah. the ocean not only is a pathway to do that, but also like the knowledge economy. And I think this is something that we often forget. You know, the knowledge economy has been a big part of the Bahamian economy, but Bahamians have not been active participants in it. You know, for the past 50 years, we've had foreign researchers who are being paid top dollar to come and do work in the Bahamas. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah. But because the, the access to entry in that space is like, you got to have a PhD, you know, and you have to be in a country where then you can have access to research funding, mm-hmm. right? We don't have science research pots in the Bahamas that we can tap into. Mm-hmm. So it's about how do we carve out these pathways? And um, so what, just to like bring this home, what's really cool and what I've learned in these past uh, three months since I've been here in Ethiopia, that one, there are island communities in Ethiopia. Um, yeah. I there feel are so island ignorant. People. Educate me, girl. What? <laughs> so it was, I, this was new to me too. But of course, there's lakes, and so one of the oh. one of the things that I've been working on while I've been here is identifying projects that link our community in Cat Island, our community in the Bahamas, with the community here in Ethiopia. So how do I tell one story, design one project that has global reach and impact that's grounded in local communities? but then also connects to the policy, right? So this goes back to this idea of science, society, and policy. How do we ensure that our governments, our policymakers are making policy that really help advance us as a peoples? Um, Well, we need to ensure that local voices are part of that process. And so one thing that I really celebrate, one of our Canadian community scientists um, was at COP27 with me this year. And she was in the Ocean Pavilion, you know, attending, listening in those spaces. And this is how we rethink, this is how we recreate the system. You know, we're not going to see change if we keep doing what we've been doing. You know, we have to be intentional about creating new pathways. You know what that made me think of just now? And and excuse if this is ignorance again, because I do feel like this is a new space for me. Um, when we have these conferences, like a, a great example being COP27, are those streamed like live? So uh, COVID was a game changer. Okay. Um, and so because of COVID, a lot more of those spaces are have become open access, but still a lot of it isn't. So this is why it's so important for us to be in those spaces, especially... Right in the what, what they call the blue zone, which is sort of the, the restricted zone for primarily governments, delegates, and other um, just, yeah, it's just, it's the restricted zone. That's where like the right. big conversations are made, um, the, you know, the deals are brokered, are in these private rooms. And so when you have local community members in those rooms, all of a sudden their world changes because they now see things in a different way and you once you know you can't unknow but when you don't know yeah you, you know. can't do anything and i ask and you don't know I what just, you don't know i just think the priorities of the world and, and not that i want to get all existential but it's amazing to me how the world like because today's super bowl and you know, i'm sure 
I didn't have to say it. A lot of people know, but the world can tap into that. And, oh, good. I mean, I I know, but um, the world taps into that. And even something, I guess, more global, the Olympics. Like, and these are things where the world comes together. We send athletes and everyone has to participate because everyone wants to be out there, no matter what country it's in. But something like, you know, this COP27, it affects everyone, but everyone doesn't get to see all of it or participate in all of it. And, and no one's helping, you know, no one's like sponsoring countries to come there, right? Like countries have to make their own way and, and, in, and the, only the government officials get to go, right? And, you know, government officials are government officials. But like you said, a lot of times the people that need to be in this space, these spaces are not there. And I just, you always get me so charged up, Nikita. And I just feel like, why is it not more accessible? Like, and why is this even a question of saying that? Why is it not? It should be. These are things that should be accessible to people to see and learn and hear about because that might be that one person who finally gets to hear it may be the one person that needs to that can now change the world. But oh, I'm getting goosebumps, man. Whew, just mm-hmm. we're going to we're going to get there. Maybe that's <laughs> hopefully that's a part of the 2063 vision. Right. Right. But I mean, I think this is where for this is, I think, our role as, you know, civic organizations yeah. is that our role, we are here. It doesn't matter which government comes and goes. Right. We're, we're here on the ground. Right. And so having strong, and this is why I go back to the importance of strong institutions. When you have strong institutions, both governmental, academic, civic, you know, mm-hmm. then that is the backbone of your society. But when your institutions are not strong and they cannot weather change and they flip and flop, you know, it yeah. makes it very difficult for there to be consistency. And so, and this goes back to the more that we can equip, and I think it's very important because a lot of times people think, oh, well, if you put you someone in the space, like let me just bring a community member into the space and therefore they're, they're there, you know, equitable representation, equitable participation is mm-hmm. what's important. It's not just about how many young people can we put inside a room at COP27, but it's how equipped are those young people to actively engage in the conversations taking place, yep. right? And so this oh, is the heart of capacity building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like I said, you're going to be so like, oh, because, and that's exactly it, right? Like, how do you expect I'm just trying to be very careful with my words. How do you expect to have youth voices when you pull youth that you are, you have not informed on any of the things that are happening? Like it's, and so to your point, right. It's like, you can't tokenism. washing. That's it right there. Um, Girl, say it. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and I hate that. I hate tokenism and I, and I hate that. and, And I hate that for us. And I, and I can only, like you said, the institutions are weak. And unfortunately, some institutions are very party dependent, like uh, with the government. So my vision for the Bahamas is just like you said, those stronger institutions. And hopefully um, we can start seeing, you know, as a nation, the importance of that. Um, and thank you for being such a visionary in that. And I love to call you a mover and a shaker. And I love calling you like a warrior in this sector, because like I said, like you just get me so charged up. Every time I speak with you, I just feel so energized and just like ready to jump and do something. And so- uh, yeah, I know, right? I'm just, but I'm so excited uh, just to, to continue following the work that you do. And I'm sure a lot of my viewers, I know, Mermaid Katie, uh, who's actually my guest next week, this is so powerful. And it is, it's so powerful. And, and like I said, I hope other people are getting as charged up as I am. And we have <laughs> Maggie, meaningful topics, definitely. Hi, um, <laughs> Mama Empress, Mama Ego Ray Empress, um, and Ashante, who says, exactly. Youth inclusion is baseless if we are not prepared, educated, or aware of the systems around us. Youth washing is a major issue and it needs to change. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. Reach yes. Shante. <laughs> right. Um, and so, and, and that's important. So I would definitely say, uh, I understand what you mean. I asked you the question, what's your primary focus? Such a hard question because I think, like you said, multifaceted, things need to be interdisciplinary. You have to incorporate so many areas to accomplish one goal, even if, like you said, ocean conservation, right, can be said as the overarching theme. But what really makes that up? It's not just pouring money into protected areas. You need to pour money into the communities around them. You need to educate the communities, the people who live in these communities. You know, you need to empower everyone who's involved in this space. And so oh, I'm trying to, whew, 
so yes uh this is this is Eagle Ray Empress, everyone. Like, I hope, I don't know if some people who are watching has never experienced Nikita, but it is quite an experience. And I hope that, you know, we got to have you back on one day to talk about other things. But I am super interested. I know you mentioned that um, one of the things that, oh, I hate that I forgot now. You definitely had said a misconception, um, something that people had said to you that you were like, that's not true. Like, why would you think that's true? But has there been something that um, as young behaviors that you interact with a belief that they have that you've had to like, kind of break that belief system? Like, no, this is not true. Like, why did you think that? Like, is there any misconception that's been really common that you've heard about? Oh, well, I guess there's so many misconceptions. So I guess it just depends on what we're talking about. But <laughs> I think um, from a environment and climate perspective, I think people struggle to see the connection mm -hmm. as to how climate change is relevant to my daily life. And so I think sometimes, you know, after Hurricane Dorian, you know, people still think like, you know, they think of the hurricanes and or the flooding, and those are very tangible mm -hmm. visuals that people have as it relates to climate change. But I think sometimes things that people don't realize is that you know, the crime on our streets is directly tied to our climate crisis. You know, yeah. our challenged education system is directly tied to our, you know, ability to adapt to climate change. Mm -hmm. So we have to take a holistic approach to the work that we do. And that means that those of us from different sectors have to spend time in other sectors. You know, I attended... Um, so what's interesting, I think Bahamians, like we really need to turn our eyes to the African continent because there's a lot happening over here. And one of the things that's top priority is the African uh, continental free trade area. So there's this movement, you know, again, what, how do we address climate change? Well, a huge part of it is how do we prepare for the realities you know, the changes that are happening. And yeah. if I don't have money in my bank account, I can't prepare. Right. It's just very simple. You know, hurricane comes, if I don't have money to buy wood to put up shutters, I'm not going to have wood. And maybe if I'm lucky, I'll put an X of tape on the glass so that if a coconut hits it, it doesn't crack. But we, oh, all, cool. we all know what, what happens, right? Mm -hmm. Like, especially in some of the most, like, um, impoverished communities, you know, especially our migrant communities, you know, we saw what happened in Abaco and Grand Bahama. And so yeah. how do we divert from that? How do we ensure that as peoples, we are prepared for the changes? We need to improve our economic standing. Mm -hmm. And I think, so for me, when I attended uh, this trade meeting in Tanzania, that was all about how do we improve uh, economics opportunities, economic opportunities for women and young people, um, it really brought home the fact that, you know, entrepreneurship and um, entrepreneurship is critical for our people. And the, the best way that we can prepare Bahamians for the changes is make sure that we all have money in our bank accounts, that we have savings, so that if we have to migrate, we can migrate with money in the bank. Because it's very different, you know, mm -hmm. if you can afford to pay for a hotel room or you're on a street somewhere. Yeah. And you I don't know, even like, know if the so, question is if, yeah. if we have to migrate, is it if, when. or is it just a matter of when? So, Lashanti, it's, it depends on how much money you have in your bank account, because what's going to happen for us is that the cost of living is going to get higher and higher and higher. We're experiencing it now, you know, mm -hmm. especially the Southern Islands, it even gets worse, yeah. right? So yeah. if you cannot afford to live in your country, you're going to go elsewhere, yeah. right? And so if we as Bahamians can't keep pace with how cost of living is increasing, yep. we're going to move. Mm -hmm. And so the options are either ensure that Bahamians have the economic power so that we can fight the tides Mm -hmm. of you know inflation 
you know, so that we can afford to rebuild, so that we can afford to relocate to a different island in our country, you know, or we're going to end up somewhere else. And then the question is, well, where do we want to go? One of the biggest, the, the one takeaway that I took from COP27 when I returned to Addis Ababa and I went to the African Union diaspora office, I was just like, I need you to start thinking about how you're going to make it easier for those of us in the Caribbean to uh, set up shop and come home. Because like, if you have to go somewhere, where are you going to go? Yeah. We have to be intentional about this. And it's yeah. not that, you know, in an ideal world, we will not have to leave our country because who wants to leave our country? It's our heritage, it's our livelihood, it's who we are. And also look at our brothers and sisters in the South, you know, that are yeah. fleeing right now mm -hmm. because of just the reality. And mm -hmm. so we know this is a potential reality. So how do we ensure that we make it as easeful as possible? Yeah, and I think that's such a good point. I know a lot of Bahamians ex exhibit this, um, oh, I can't find the right word, but we look down so much on other countries that are dealing with, you know, this, they need to migrate out. And we think that we are, you know, a lot of people think that they are greater than when it's like, reality is, it might just be you one day, you know? So the way that you treat people and the way that you look at people, you have to be so careful because as Bahamians say, you ain't past it till you're dead, right? Like, that might just be you, you know? And so I think it's, this topic is so important, but I also think that uh, one of the things that I was surprised to learn a, a few years ago, well, more than a few years ago, but that I always like to share with people because they didn't know, I think Bahamians forget that none of us here are descendants of the Arawaks or the Lucayans. No, we black people from the slaves that came from America that came from Africa. Like we, we are not indigenous. We don't have indigenous people here. Like how some other countries, they can trace back their heritage. And I remember, and I think I talked about this on a past episode. Um, I had friends that were from uh, Nigeria and India and Kenya and other countries on these continents. And I was like, I need to do uh, a DNA test. I need to know, you know, like where exactly, you know, and they were like, but you're from the Bahamas. So isn't that enough? And I'm like, no, actually, it's not enough. I have no idea because mm -hmm. you, you know, you know, your parents, your grandparents, everybody has been here your whole life. I don't know. I can maybe only go back two or three generations and say, yes, it's here. So I think a lot of Bahamians don't realize that. And so when you talk about Africa, they're probably, and I, I could imagine some people just being like, Africa, why are you all the way in Africa? We could just migrate to the States. You don't want to go there either. You, you don't want to go there either. Want to do that though? We, we came from there. We came from there. We don't want to go back. So, so yeah, I do think um, that's, I think that's a great idea. So like if I don't move to a family I island, I'd love to move to Kenya or something. <laughs> but, you know, you bring up a really interesting point. And this was like a big eye opener for me as I've been here. You know, everyone should, just, and in different parts of Africa, a lot of people were like, well, um, what's your mother tongue? Like, what's your, tri what tribe are you from? And I was just like, I don't know, like slavery. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, you just see people's eyes open and then they're just like, <sighs> you know, like, but a lot of people here in the continent actually don't think about the, the transatlantic slave trade. No. And, and so it goes both ways. We have to educate ourselves in understanding that we are African, that the, the, the story, the economic opportunities as either investors here in the continent as educators of people learning, like knowledge sharing. There's so many opportunities for us as we anchor in, but also mm -hmm. reconnecting to the different languages. You know, while I've been here, I've been learning, I've been studying Amharic. I go to one of the high schools <laughs> and I, uh, I've been studying and learning oh. um, Amharic, right? But again, it's just about like, how do we, I think a big part of understanding the people and understanding of culture is through language. Mm -hmm. And one day while I was in Cat Island during COVID, I woke up and I was like, whoa, we've only been speaking English for 400 years. You know, like, so English is not our mother tongue because mm -hmm. we would have learned it during, at some point after we crossed over. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it is yeah. what it is, but there is so much knowledge at, and written knowledge at that that we don't understand because we only speak English. Right. And so part of my quest here has also been, you know, how do we, you know, gain access and create 
access point, an entry point for Bahamians to learn about heritage from different African cultures and vice versa, because Africans have a lot that they need to and will learn from us as, you know, Caribbean people. Yeah. And I think, and, and I see a question uh, from Remy Katie that also kind of segues me into my next question direction. Um, she says, uh, Nikita, can you tell us some of the active goals you have for 2023 and how we can help assist YME with those? How, yeah. How can we help or assist YME with those goals? Yeah. What has Nikita got going awesome. on for 2023? <laughs> Thank you, Mermaid Katie, for that. Wonderful. So a couple of things. Um, if you want to get involved in YME activities, I would say the best ways that you can do that is one is be on the lookout. We are leveling up our group or school parties. Um, and so if you haven't been to one of our group or school parties before, it is essentially this global intergenerational classroom that is a party and is a learning experience um, that's all grounded into different uh, sort of different activities. It's, you just kind of have to show up and experience it to, to, to really understand, but it's a way of like reimagining what education looks like. Uh, so we're going to have a series of at least four of those parties this year. And what's really cool is that it's anchored into um, an, a program that we're running here in Ethiopia called Skate for Peaks. So we're now expanding our global community. So we're bringing in an organization called Ethio Skate and a bunch of other organizations um, here, University of Addis Ababa, to be part of our global classroom. So uh, I think our next party will be in March. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. That's one way that you can attend. Also, if you're really interested in climate leadership, our uh, climate leaders and, and climate ambition course will be again starting up in April. And um, so that's a course that you can enroll in and be part of our community as we learn and talk and co-create about climate. Um, of course, we always are looking for funding and uh, meaningful funding. So if you have money you want to support you, whether it's like through corporate sponsorship, this is another great way that you can actively be involved in our work. Um, we will be, YME Bahamas will also be attending a number of UN meetings this year again. So uh, the UN Water Conference, the UN Convention on the Status of Women, again, because, you know, ocean economy, we have to make sure that we are tied into all these spaces. Um, and more importantly, uh, go and spend some time in the ocean if you haven't done that for a while, because the ocean is so healing and it's one of the things that I miss the most uh, being here in the mountains. Oh, that's, and so can uh, people get that information from some of the social media handles that I have, the Cat Island Kita, Wyoming 242 and CICI Bahamas? On Facebook, Absolutely. Instagram, so, and Twitter? <laughs> yeah, follow us there um, on the socials. And as soon as we uh, put out the call for the party, the next party, that's those are where we always promote them. And uh, the Cat Island Keto page is probably, if you want the most real time uh, of what I'm doing and what's going on, that's probably the one to follow. <laughs> I do, and I follow it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um so thank you as we start to wrap up i am curious about this question i hope that you've had time to think about it um yeah. unless your answer is still the same which also is fine too but who is someone or something in the sector uh that inspires you and why this can be local or international mm. <sighs> you know such a good question and i always sort of struggle with answering that question. Um, but I think what I'm going to say is to be a bit more general is that I'm inspired by people who unapologetically think outside the box, you know? And I think for me, as opposed to like having one person that I'm just like, oh, this is one person that really inspires me. I think there's aspects from different people that I'm really inspired by, whether it's just like the way someone carries themselves or the confidence someone has when they speak or own their truth. 
you know. Um, so ultimately, at the end of the day, like Mama Ocean has been my true source of inspiration. Um, but I think we gain nuggets of wisdom and knowledge from each person that we encounter. I love that. I do think um, that almost kind of just embodies this like holistic approach that we've been talking about. Like it's not ever going to just be one person. Um, it's just so many pieces mm -hmm. of different people that come together to help inspire you and, and, you know, empower more of who you are as a person. Um, but so speaking of nuggets, do you have any final thoughts for our viewers? Maybe a, a nugget of knowledge that you picked up recently. Um, a nugget of knowledge. Well, there are island communities in Ethiopia. So I, I think that for me was like mind blowing. So I was, and I was so excited when I found my island people. And, um, but I think most importantly is that dream, dream and don't let people who cannot see your dream deter you from doing what you know you've come here to do. Um, and I think that I, as I share that with everyone listening, I share that with myself as well, because sometimes our dreams can be so big and they can be scary. And so it's easy to be small and it's easy to just, you know, lessen ourselves, especially women, right? Especially yeah. black women. It's easy for us to just like be smaller because we don't want to be the angry black woman or we don't want to be the loud or opinionated woman, but yo, you know, we, we are all of our emotions. We are everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's beautiful, you know? So don't, uh, don't shy away from being you. Oh, that actually would be a little emotional. <laughs> like, that's so important. Yeah, I definitely, <laughs> like I said, it's, it's always an amazing conversation with Nikita. And we are actually almost to an hour. And I would love to have you back on the show again. Um, just because I think it's, it's just important to connect and, and you've, like I said, re-energized me and I hope that you've energized or re-energized some guests. I know earlier um, Mermaid Katie shared that you also were giving her goosebumps and that uh, I'll put it up. Nikita is a whole vibe. She really is guys. If, like I said, if you're not following her, definitely follow her um, and all of her pages. She's doing such amazing work and it's just such an amazing person. This beautiful ocean soul, Igor Ray Empress. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so happy to finally got you on it. And I think it happened right in time. I think things always work out that way, right? Like this was just the right time for you to be here and be on the show. So thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I miss all my Bahamian people. I love you and ocean love all the way from the mountains. Definitely. When you're back, we definitely got to go get some Bahamian beer. <laughs> <laughs> you know it each time. <laughs> awesome. So thank you everyone for viewing, for tuning into another episode of Siren Sundays. And I hope to see you all next time. Uh, we do have Mermaid Katie as our next guest. So I hope to see everyone there. Same time, same place next Sunday. Bye, everyone.